Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. On Twilight Tonic, I have a very fascinating guest. It's Vicki Joy Anderson, and I am fascinated with sleep paralysis, like millions of Americans and people all over the world that suffer from this. She's got a wonderful book out, and it kind of gave me the creeps a little bit, but it's <laughs> very interesting, and I love her point of view on sleep paralysis as well. And it's called They Only Come Out at Night. How are you, Vicki? Hey, Dee, I am doing wonderful, and I'm so excited to be here and uh, um, been looking really forward to this. I know. This is my second time interviewing you. I interviewed you on Twilight Tonight when Todd Bates had his station up. Yes. And I just loved it. It was fascinating. And I yeah, you, you know what's really crazy, Dee? I would think, I always tell people when they say, I've got this great idea for a book, I always say, mm-hmm. You better be prepared to be interested enough in the topic to talk yeah. about it ad nauseum for at least two years. And you know, <laughs> if if it's not if it's not that interesting to you. And and what's crazy is with the hundreds of shows I've been on, mm-hmm. I don't even often have to repeat myself. Like this topic is so broad. There's so many layers to it. You never come to the end of it. It's not like, oh, I, you know, I heard five podcasts about sleep paralysis and now I know everything there is to know. Right. It, it's almost like the more you talk about it, the more dots you connect and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, which makes it just an extraordinarily fascinating topic. I find it interesting because in so many situations, people have sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Throughout history, you know, they used to talk about um, things draining you yes. through sleep paralysis, the imps and the banshees and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of fascinating throughout history. I mean, so this isn't anything new. Not at all. Not at all. And another thing that's really interesting is unlike a lot of other maladies out there, whether they be physical, spiritual or mental, there's not really a target group or modus operandi to this. Mm-hmm. It, you can, it's men, it's women, it's children. It's no matter what country you're from, no matter what age you are, no matter what your spiritual background, you know, it's it's funny. There's there's a lot of people who think, well, this this kind of stuff would only happen to someone who's practicing magic or reading occult mm-hmm. books or playing with Ouija boards. But the fact of the matter is, a vast majority of the people that call me who want help are extremely religious and spiritual people. They're not, they're minding their own business. They're, they, they're thinking that the best thing I can do with my life is to be kind and loving and they're not stirring up trouble. They're not, you know, they're not in graveyards calling out for things to talk to them. And, 
<laughs> pastors are having this problem and Christian housewives who, you know, go to mops groups every week. Like there's no sort of, um, there's no discrimination whatsoever in sleep paralysis. They're not targeting a specific uh, demographic. It, it really can hit just about anyone, anywhere. Now, Vicki, in your very personal opinion, what do you think causes sleep paralysis? I, this is one of the reasons why we can't pin it down. You know, it's it's like the old metaphor about like nailing jello to the wall, right? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we can't really ever get to the bottom of it is because there's, I think, many reasons why it's happening. And because of the nature of how all of the uh, sciences have strained each in their own directions, as Lovecraft said in Cthulhu, is once you got science has an opinion and philosophy has an opinion and religion has an opinion and medicine has an opinion. Mm-hmm. And w- once they have an opinion, that's the fact, that's the truth to them. And they can't seem to fold anything else in. So this is the problem that we have. We have, uh, you know, scientists and people of medicine saying this is absolutely a hundred percent just an adjunct of narcolepsy. It, it has something to do with genetics. It has to do with sleep apnea. And no other explanation is is allowed in. It doesn't meet the criterion of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And anything is simple-minded and foolish. And then you've got the, the religious people who are like, it's a demon. It has to be demon. What did you do? You, you sinned. You committed a sin. You opened a door. It has nothing to do with genetics and nothing to do. And I think one of the reasons why we can't gain any ground on this topic, you know, 2,023 years into, right. <laughs> you know, the, oh my gosh, is because we're not letting the other side of the table talk. And when they do talk, we're more interested in the argument or the comeback than we are in, hey, guess what? My chocolate tastes really good. Your peanut butter tastes really good. Maybe if we jumbled them together, it's going to taste better, right? Like, no, right. <laughs> there's no way you can improve upon my chocolate. There's no way you can improve upon my peanut butter. And what what I wish is it, it didn't have to be so volatile that uh, people who want to bring religion into it, not everybody who's bringing religion into it wants to convert you and drag you to their church and make you bring a tuna hot dish on Wednesday night and sing songs to Jesus. <laughs> and not every scientist is denying Christ and wanting to, is an atheist. And so I think we have these broad sweeping uh, stereotypical categories that we put a doctor, a scientist, a psychologist, and a pastor into, you know? Right. And we, we think that these are just one dimensional little stock characters who think one thing and one thing only. And because of all of our preconceived notions, we can't get any traction on it. And it's important to get traction on it because the goal isn't to get good science or good religion so that we can write term papers and case studies. The goal is there's tens of thousands of people suffering from and traumatized by this who are going to the doctors and the psychiatrists and the pastors and the priests for help. And none of these people can give it to them. Right. And if you, for people that have had sleep paralysis, it is frightening. Yes. Because you can talk to yourself during it. Yes. Like, yeah. if I could just wake up, if I could just move, if I could recite yeah. this, if I could do that, I can get out of it. And you're very aware of your surroundings. 
Very much so. You know, this brings up a good point. There, There's kind of a little old wives tale floating around there. And I've even seen it in some television programs and things lately. And it's it's true and it's not true. So I'll kind of try to get to the bottom of this. There are people out there that say that you cannot read in your dreams. So if you are in a sleep paralysis scenario and you can read, uh, it, it means that um, it, that is somehow some sort of determination as to whether or not you're you're dreaming or not. And I recently saw this in a show where a, a woman was having sleep paralysis. And so the way that she was going to kind of outwit these sleep paralysis entities, which is kind of funny, Dee, I don't know if this is your experience, but every time I've gotten really clever and I've tried to outwit one of these things, they one up me and it gets worse. Of course. <laughs> They're like, oh. Was that show <laughs> evil? Yes. I'm, and that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. She, she puts the post-it note on this in the ceiling. And so she's she's like, this is just a dream because I can't read. So you're not real because this is just a dream. This is where she's half right, but there's a little bit of misinformation in there. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the deal. When we're having a legitimate dream, we're checked out and our brain is defragging and we are completely, you know, three sheets to the wind or whatever you want to say. We can't read because our our subconscious mind is completely shut down because the, the brain is going through various processes and stuff. So if you can't read in a dream, it's an indication that you're in a dream. But if you can read in your dream, it can be an indication that you are more in an astral realm than you are in a legitimate dream dream. Because when you're in the astral realm, you're separated from your body, but you still can tap into your mind and your thoughts. And and you have your own, you retain your living physical personality and train of thought in, in the astral realm. You know, when you have a dream, you wake up and you're like, well, that was just crazy. I would, you know, I got to school and I realized I was buck naked under my jacket and (laughs) pillows are after me and and I'm screaming and and it doesn't make any sense but in these astral encounters there's many many tip-offs as to what the differences uh, between a dream and an astral uh, situation are but when we're in these astral situations uh in in my experience the way that I would think and believe and speak and react in real life it is the same way there I, I retain all of my um, beliefs and my my worldview and whatnot, and my personality is intact. And so, mm-hmm. um, someone says something, and I, I I get sarcastic or I roll my eyes. It's very true to who I am when I'm awake. And whereas in a dream, you wake up and think like that's not the way I look in real life, and that's not that's not how I would have reacted in that situation. And so, I think we have to be careful with all of these uh, little myths that are out there about how. Um, the ones that I've heard lately are like, if you, if you can, if you can't read in your dream, then, and you know, it's just a dream. And then there's a whole slew of these mythologies in the religious world that I think gets us into more problems, uh, where they say things like, um, if you're a Christian, this can't happen to you. Mm. And, um, other things like, um, you know, uh oh my mind is just being bombarded by so many of them there's so many things in the in the religious realm here's another one uh the the devil can't read your mind 
Well, where do we get that from, D? There's not a verse right. that says that. There's nothing in scripture that says that. Now, you could you could do some word searches and really delve into the context and string a whole bunch of verses together and maybe come up with a theory. I personally don't think they have to read our minds. I think they're highly intelligent and they've been examining human behavior for thousands of years and we're all pretty much alike. And, you know, I don't think you necessarily would even have to read our minds. But if if they're telling us over in the UF, UFO research world that these aliens can put thoughts into our heads mm-hmm. and well, we can even do that through technology now. Uh, the military has voiced a skull. So you're telling me it's like a one-way walkie-talkie. You can you can fuse thoughts into my mind, but you you can't you can't extract them. You can't figure out what I'm thinking. And I I understand where people find a place of safety in believing that, but I don't. You know, if, if someone was religious, I I would put them to the wall and I'd say, I want the chapter and verse on that. And the reason I want the chapter and verse on that isn't because I want to get into a theological debate and come out the, the, the victor and look smarter. The reason I want a chapter and verse on that is because if it's not true, then our strategies for fighting these things are going to be insufficient. If you think one of your weapons against them is that they can't read your mind and they can, now mm-hmm. you're exposed. But why would we be taking off pieces of our armor uh, willingly? And so that's why I think that these sort of things matter. And when you go online, and especially if you're getting your your worldview about these things from television and movies, they do expose a lot of stuff. They have really let a lot of information out of the bag, mm-hmm. but they they do it in a way where it's strewn with just enough misinformation and disinformation in some cases that you're going to be way more informed than you used to be, but you're not going to be informed on the things that are going to protect you and help you out of the situation. And I think that's really interesting that people think they can't get into your mind. Yeah. Especially abductees, because I hear stories over and over. It looked like my doctor during the exam. Yeah. It looked like this. Yes. And it looked like something from my childhood. Yeah. As a little girl, I loved puppets. And I've been public about this. And I had an experience where on a second story building we were up on a second store and i can remember these two puppets that look like puppets were in my window telling me about weather patterns oh wow and i remember as a little girl looking down going wait a minute how are you guys up here (laughs) and that kind of weird stuff would happen throughout my childhood now when i got older it was a whole different ball game the sleep paralysis started when i was about 15 really bad but I don't know why they would say that because they show you things. They use things that are in your mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to me, especially when you get to the higher levels of targeted individuals, whether or not these are military families or um, generational occult families, they're getting the the top levels of, Mm -hmm. of information. Right. And, it isn't just like the the amateurs, you know, the people like me that had sleep paralysis their whole life, even though I was getting hit with it continually, it was just kind of like, boo, scared you, laughing at me, you're going to, we're dragging you to hell, no one loves you, you know, that kind of stuff, but right. just the tour. <clears throat> but these people that are um, 
are targeted to the where they're being groomed, so to speak, for lack of a better word, to to serve some sort of um, role in, in a greater cause, they're getting all sorts of information that 20, 30 years ago would have made no sense to the average individual. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. weather patterns and <clears throat> things about other languages and ancient history and um, all like the ability to read Sumerian texts and um, the knowledge of ley lines and all these things that are kind of coming out of the woodwork now, now with um, all of the, the, the podcasts that we have and the disclosure that we have and just the bevy of information and the collective hive mind on the web of people sharing their stories and with the now birth of quantum physics and all the stuff we're learning about time and space mm-hmm. and uh the average you know idiot as i would say we we can speak rather intelligently to some level of these things that 50 years ago if we talked to our grandparents about this they would think we were insane they'd you know lock us up but What's interesting is there's things that are just coming out now that there there's people that were getting this type of information in these astral or these these sleep paralysis or these UFO type experiences and imagine just you know whether it's an astral encounter or even thinking about the prophets in the old and new testament yeah. so many times they said they had no idea what they were writing about you know they were just kind of for lack of a better word, it was sort of this, you know, version of automatic writing that they were, they were writing these visions. And, you know, the, the apostle John is writing about lampstands and, and beasts. And, you know, um, there's always these people that try to decode all the metaphors and revelation and, and say, well, how would a first century author explain a helicopter or an atom bomb or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, airplane or whatever. And so I'm sure that these visions that Daniel and John in particular had were terrifying. You know, we we read it and it's, it seems like such a poetic thing. And, you know, John's on Patmos and behold, I saw the clouds open up. But these guys were probably scared out of their minds seeing visions of the future and not having any sort of key to sort of decode what they were looking at or how to interpret it. And so on the flip side, the same thing that's been happening to people for hundreds of years where they're getting downloads of information and visions of things that are are, are just now starting to be understood with, with technology. Like technology right. is sort of the new language that is is allowing us to sort of understand things that we we never understood before. And so it's fascinating to me that so much of this information that they have been slow dripping into the collective conscience over the, the last 50 to 75 years, they were content to give us insights that were of of no value to us, so to speak. We are just confused and confounded by it. But, um, you know, when you're dealing with beings that are likely eternal and immortal, mm-hmm. they have a they're outside of our our time. I, I think that they have the time and probably the interest. You know, I don't know if these entities get bored or they want entertainment the same way human <laughs> beings. I would think that, you know, there's some melodrama involved with these things. Anybody who's had sleep paralysis knows these things kind of like 
drama and they like to build people up to a climax and they, they kind of like to toy with you sometimes. So they sort of enjoy the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a part of this where they being more of of eternal beings, they understand you know, human beings, we want everything in two hours. We want to watch a movie and everything has to be pinned up at the end. Every, all the loose right. ends are explained. Um, every problem is resolved. Everybody gets married at the end or everybody, you know, everybody who's bad gets their just desserts at the end. So we're kind of used to this idea that everything has to be fully explained to us and understood and there has to be satisfying closure within a period of time. And I don't think that these things operate with the same timeline and they're content or they are able to give information to a generation knowing that that generation is never going to understand that. But you you take that information like a baton and there's grandmothers that would tell their grandchildren these stories and these grandchildren would just have one little story that grandma would tell them. And then all of a sudden that piece gets added to something that happens to them. And then they tell their grandkids. And mm-hmm. we really are at a place today where we're on the shoulders of all of our ancestors who have been confounded by these experiences for hundreds of years. They died not knowing. And we still don't know at all, but we have so many more puzzle pieces now. And I think a much clearer picture as to what's going on is is coming into view now. Yeah. I think so, too, because I think more people are coming out. Yeah. Yes. And not to mention, like you said, all of the science research. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, black matter is another really interesting thing. Yes. Like how, what is all, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, and I think there's a lot of intentionality behind this stuff and what gets revealed and when Mm -hmm. and to who. And what's interesting is, and this is part of why the people with the chocolate and the people with the peanut butter have to start merging, is on one side of the table, we have people who are understanding vast pieces of this now because of their ability to decode quantum physics. Mm -hmm. But then on the side of the table, you've got people that are putting together vast portions of this puzzle because they're able to interpret doctrine and theology and arcane stuff like one of the trends in the church now and this is only within the last decade if even that one of the trends within the christian church and believe believe you me my grandparents would never have touched this stuff neither would my parents but the 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 new generations of of the church mm-hmm. are extremely interested in the apocryphal books really? the extra Books and the pseudepigrapha books. Now, in the old days, if you put, if you added one jot or tittle to the sixty-six books, you were, you know, um, really flirting with 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 danger. And now there are so many people within the realms of religion and Christianity who are willing to delve into the Book of Enoch and Jubilees and Jasher, and some are, hmm. are even some of the Gnostic texts and things uh, for. We're putting pieces together um, like never before. Christian presses are republishing the Dead Sea Scrolls and these these apocryphal books, and uh, and so we've got so many puzzle pieces to put together. But what's interesting to me is you've got 
quantum physics and you've got arcane religious texts. And if you go back into the writings of the 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 ancients, I, I'd say a couple hundred years ago, um, there is a a book that I'm reading. It's on on the the Kabbalah and it's on the 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 Vilna of Goan. So he's this mm-hmm. kind of like a guru and all of this uh Kabbalistic knowledge. And that's another thing that's really changed. D in the past, you did not give away Kabbalah secrets and you right. didn't give away Masonic secrets. And all this stuff is now coming out, but no one's getting their eyes poked out and their fingers cut off. And you know, mm-hmm. why is that? Because it is time for the confluence of information. It's time for that period that uh, Lovecraft talks about in the opening paragraph mm-hmm. of his uh, his book, Cthulhu, The Call of Cthulhu, where this, the seven sciences that have all strained in their own directions are going to come back together and be cohesive information. Right. And it's going it's going to be mind-blowing. And so what's interesting about the, the secrets of Kabbalah is um, Ar-Hillel, who was a rabbi, he wrote that the mark of the end times, you know, and end times is interpreted differently by different people. If you ask a Christian or someone with the Bible, they're going to say Jesus comes back and the Armageddon and, you know, the right. plagues and all that. But if you say end times in a Kabbalistic or a, a the theosophic or an occult, it, it means a resetting of a new age. It means a new golden mm-hmm. age. It doesn't right. mean the end of the and so depending on how you interpret that, what Hillel said about the end times is what will mark the end times, the four pedestals on the table, so to speak, that will all come together is science, technology, and Kabbalah and the Torah. I believe those are the four. Mm-hmm. And those four are now in place. We have the technology like never before from 1900 to, to now. We are in a, a computer age, an information age, a digital age, whatever you want to call it, the, like the, the phrase du jour, they keep changing it. But we've got this mass technological revolution. And we have got now not just science, but now we have quantum physics that are talking about right travel and wormholes and portals in the spirit realm and and what do we have now then we have a massive interest now in the torah there's all sorts of christians going back to the hebraic yeah. roots of their faith and what what's happening in a lot of these hebraic circles is very subtly, a lot of Kabbalistic teachings are entering into it because, you know, the only difference between, you know, the Torah and, and Kabbalah is that you've got, it, it's it's a matter of time. It's where you are in the timetable. You've mm-hmm. got pre-exiled uh, to, you know, pre-diaspora version of Judaism, and then you have the post-diaspora version of Judaism. You've got the temple worship as it was before they went to Babylon and after when they came back and synchronized Babylonian religions into it. And so you've got now this massive interest amongst Christians to know about the Hebraic roots. And it's because Gentiles aren't well-versed in Judaism and the Torah, Mm -hmm. when Kabbalah 
mixed in. They don't necessarily recognize, you know, the difference. And so you've got this perfect storm of science, technology, Kabbalah, and Torah. And that is the mark for hundreds of years. The 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 gurus in in the in Kabbalism have, have said this is the mark of the end times. And I I don't want hearers to think end times means the end of the world and oh no, we're right. all gonna die. It means no, it, it means the same thing that Lovecraft meant. It's the beginning of a new dark age. It's a reset. It's the same thing the Mayans meant with the 2012. And so there there really is, I think, um, especially amongst Christians or Bible readers, we have we have a definition of end, end of the world mm-hmm. that rest of the world does not define the same way. And I think that as Christians and as Bible readers, um, those types of people, they have to understand that when you start talking about the end times, if you're not talking to someone who's in the same framework or worldview as you, they're not interpreting or understanding what you're saying the same way you think they're hearing hearing that. Right. And that's another why we all have to talk to each other. It's not about arguing or fighting or who's right or who's wrong. It's it's this idea that if this really is an us against them, I mean, look what Holly, Hollywood has been pushing this forever. It's us against the aliens. It's us against the the robots. It's us against the mm-hmm. Terminator. And it's always this, it's always this otherworldly threat, this more intelligent race that's going to come. If there's any truth to that, if it really is an us against them, then us has to stop fractioning into all sorts of divisive groups and arguing amongst each other because if it really is us against them you know us has to be united because if we're divided Uh we're gonna gonna fall so we got to stop bickering over color and gender and sex and religion and all this stuff that they are programming us to fight over it doesn't matter we're all human and if it is us against them we had better get our acts together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to live that Star Trek life. Yeah, I really, right? I really do. <laughs> do you think the Catholic Church will release what they have in the Vatican? I know that they have scriptures that people can't, can't get to. They're locked well, up. They're hidden. Yeah. And that has fascinated me for years like why would you hide this what is in there yes i could go in so many directions with this because this is this is really important to me too because in the circles that i travel this is a big reason why so many christians are open to reading the apocryphal and the non-canon and um even the gnostic texts because Mm -hmm. they want to know what who decided this canon anyway who who decided but went in and went went out, and why? And should we, you know, in in generations past, there was no questioning that. But you know, my dad brought this point up once, and I thought, well, that's really brilliant. There's there's two or three verses in the scripture that specifically say that there's blessings um, and curses for people who delete or omit or add things to the, to the scriptures. And to my dad's point, 
that wouldn't be in there unless it was being done. I mean, you know, God's not going to say, I'm going to judge everybody who's ever done this and then nobody's ever done it. it, it I mean, he, it's superfluous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no appendixes, you know, in, in God's anatomy. You know what I mean? I'm going to make this thing that, <laughs> that I'm going to just throw sure. out at the end because it's not long anywhere. So the fact is, I think a lot more Christ- Christians used to be really adamant about it's the undefiled, inspired word of God. Every jot and tittle is exactly true. Now, this is controversial, but the inspired word of God, the original that we don't have anymore. Right. Uh, the the English, you know, Bible where everything's written into like modern English, those are translations of translations. And so we're playing telephone game at this point. And I'm not saying that, you know, that means the whole entire Bible isn't true and throw it all out. I'm simply I'm simply speaking from a uh, etymological standpoint of the inspired texts are gone. Mm. Where are they? Who has them? Why are they hidden? And so I think what what a lot of people are starting to conclude is I think no matter where you stand religiously, we all do have this belief that the truth will set us free. We all want the truth. Sure, yeah. Regardless of what that is. And I think of even Pontius Pilate, who was about to sentence Jesus to death, and Jesus said something about truth. And and Pilate, you know, he, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't a Jew. He's like, What is truth? And I love that verse in scripture because what was going through this guy's mind he knew that there was a possibility that he was putting an innocent man to death because his wife had had a prophetic dream that night which was out of character for her and he was really striving i think in that moment wanting to know truth and and so i think it's universal in all of us is that we want truth and mm-hmm. i believe that a lot of things that are true that would be extremely helpful to mankind and that would answer a lot of our questions and would make a lot of things make sense to us are being hidden from us because the people in power would lose that power if we did know the truth. And so it seems like a really sort of simple explanation of a rather complex scenario, but this is what was happening in the Dark Ages and in the past. The reason why the scriptures were written in Latin and why people weren't taught to read and why people couldn't have the scriptures in their own language was because then they couldn't get away with all their shenanigans of charging people indulgences yeah. and things like that. And so when um, Luther translated the Bible into German and when I always forget if it was Tyndale, the guy who um, translated it into English when when the Bible was being translated into English, they hunted him down and tried to kill him. I mean, they were going to martyr this guy because it, it, they're, they're, they would be exposed if the common man knew that all of this stuff that they were requiring of them was not really required of them and the bondage that they were putting man in. And what's amazing about, and again, I think it was Tyndale, he mm-hmm. did succeed. And he he did get the whole Bible translated into English before he died. And when he died, they were so bitter against this man that they dug up his body and they martyred his dead body. Like they literally <sighs> burned it. Like that's how angry they were that he succeeded in getting it into the language of the people. And even the Bible as it was in um the first century, the first century, it was written in Koine Greek, classical Greek was the Greek of, you know, uh, 
you know, Plato and Socrates and, you know, all the, the big guys. Right. Classical is classical Greek is an extremely complex, multi-layered, very difficult language. But the the New Testament was not written in classical Greek. It was written in Koine Greek, was which was basically the Greek of the streets. <laughs> it was the blue collar Greek. It was the it was the Greek that the uneducated would would understand it was written basically in street you know it was written in slang right. it was like like if it was to be written today in english instead of you know proper english graduate english it would be written like in social media talk you know it, everything would be like dope and mad and all, all yeah I, i'm too old to know what the cool things are now but you know it would be written <laughs> Me too. <laughs> for, for the young and the hip to understand. And so even when the scriptures were put into the original the original texts, uh, that's the reason why Jesus chose fishermen. And um, basically in first century Judaism and probably before, all the men studied to be rabbis. And if you flunked out, like if you weren't smart enough and you didn't pass the mustard, you were kicked out and you had to have a blue collar job. So if you were a fisherman, you were a seminary dropout. You were a reject. And I think the reason why Jesus picked them is because he wanted it the 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 word to be written for the people to understand, not the theologians. And and so I think that where that pertains to the discussion that we're having now is the scriptures have always been obtainable and easily understood by the masses, mm -hmm. and they continue to overly complicate them or hide them or misconstrue them, because I don't think that they want us to know how uncomplicated it, it is. <laughs> they, they lose their power and their wealth when, yeah. when we control of our own truth. And so uh, I think there's a lot of other reasons why that stuff is being rewritten and hidden and and whatnot. But my my basic entry level idea is that they're they're keeping it from us to hold on to their own wealth and power. Yeah, I often wondered about that. And why would they hide it? Yeah. Every since yeah. I was a little girl that drove me crazy. It's like, well, why would yeah. they hide that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is it like something so overpowering that they, they feel we don't understand? They'll lose power? Did a woman write it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I love that. You know, I, I heard a theory once that said nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Everyone is Paul. Uh, and Paul seems like a likely case. And yet there's a little indicators that, that it wasn't him. And so people speculate, well, then why why don't we know who wrote the book of Hebrews? And one of the people that I heard her giving a, a talk once speculated just in passing that it could have been written by a woman. And that's why it couldn't be, you know, they mm -hmm. couldn't declare who they were. And that that certainly is fascinating because for all of the misinformation that's out there about how uh, first century Judaism and how the and Jesus and first century Christianity, et cetera, is was so oppressive to women. If you really read the scriptures, the way Jesus went out of his way, and it was documented in scripture for a reason, he went out of his way to treat women in the first century the way no man was allowed to treat women as a way of showing that there was 
freedom and equality in the religion mm-hmm. that he was preaching. And even little things that I think are so sweet, like uh, the first people to find the tomb empty were women. Yeah. And it was it was their testimony. And in that culture, the testimony of a woman didn't stand. And when these, he, the women were the first to find him and they went and they told the disciples, like he's risen from the dead. And they, they might've been shocked, but they believed that testimony to the point that it was documented in scripture that they were the ones that found him. And you see elements of the culture uh, in other passages, like the feeding of the 5,000, that mm-hmm. meant 5,000 men. There was more than 5,000 people. It, they didn't count the women and the children. So that was what, like, reflective of the culture. So for Jesus then just come in and say, I want it documented in Scripture that the people that saw the tomb empty first, and and that that testimony was verified as truth, that, that it was women. And there's a whole bunch of other little subtle examples yeah. like that as well, that if you're divorced from the context and the culture of, of the Bible, you're not going to see them. But uh, Jesus was constantly doing things for and and with women that would have been extremely controversial in that day and age, which is one of the reasons why they hated him. So um, if you're a woman who thinks that Jesus didn't have very, very special um thoughts towards women. I just I I just encourage you to examine the New Testament through the culture and the language and the history and the geography of that text and see just how absolutely progressive he was in the way he treated women. Yeah. It's it's all it, I love old stuff and yeah. religion and stuff like that. I mean, I grew up primarily Catholic and then I had one of those moms that was like, "Okay, if you don't want to be confirmed, I'm going to introduce you to everything. Yeah, yeah. Like she took us to a Buddhist temple. She took us to a Hindu temple. She took us oh, wow. to a Wiccan ceremony. She took us oh. She took us to everything. She goes, as long as you're kind and you're spiritual. Mm. She goes, I'd prefer you to be Catholic, but just be <laughs> kind. <laughs> well, you know, and again, this is another departure from... Uh, the baby boomers and the the great generation that came before them is, you know, for all of the talk and the just the crap that the millennials and Gen Z and are, are getting for how they're destroying the world and they're lazy and they're this and they're that. I see so much hope in this these upcoming generations oh, because yeah. they're able. To, you know, I'm I'm Gen X and we're kind of split. You know, some of us are little too baby boomer, but we're kind of like, we got a leg on both sides of the bridge. You know, we, we were, we were raised by the boomers, but we were really, you know, we, we kind of don't really know where we belong half the time. But the thing that I love about these upcoming generations is they're able to do what uh, the boomers and, and beyond were unable to do. They are able to ask questions about truth and about scripture and they they don't trigger each other. You know, right. it used to be you go to church and you'd ask the pastor something and it wasn't like the the official narrative. 
you were shut up, you were scolded, you were <laughs> booted out of Sunday school, you know, you were, you got the ruler, the ruler came out, right? And I, I have so many of my best conversations about scriptures with my millennial friends, because you can bring up stuff that goes completely against the official narrative and just say like, but, but the scripture really doesn't back that up. And they get excited. Um, and you can talk to them about this stuff without them getting triggered. And so uh, the point in all that is Christianity, Catholicism, all of the different denominations, all the different world religions, I think we're finally getting to a point where we're realizing that anytime powerful people come in and organize that and set a bunch of rules to it, it gets taken out of context. It gets absolutely it gets distorted. And so there's two ways you can take that. You can throw it all away, throw the baby out with the bathwater and throw it all away and say no, nothing's true and there is no truth and I can do whatever I want. There's no consequences and we die and it turns black and we go to ashes and it's done. Or you can say, I think that there is a kernel of truth in this mm -hmm. and I'm going to explore it and I want to find it. But I think actually what's out there to find is even better and more extraordinary than we ever imagined. And I, I just, it, it's hard for me to explain this because, uh, you know, people unfortunately kind of hear what they want to hear. And if you start to say that, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of questioning things that it doesn't mean you're deconstructing and and not believing anything that you were raised to believe. But I do think that there are a lot of there's a lot of dogma in the Christian and the Catholic Church oh, yeah. that, that's based on tradition and it's based on repeating it through generation to generation to generation. And there's things that are believed and taught because they're beautiful or they're comforting or or whatever. Uh, but there is a lot of dogma in the Christian and the Catholic Church that is just not biblical. And I think that we finally have a generation now with the millennials where they're able to say it and um and they're able to move forward from it. And I, I love the questions that are being asked. Now, I think that if I kind of, I have this theory that, you know, there's this thing now called deconstruction where a lot of Christians, they're calling themselves ex-evangelicals mm -hmm. because they're asking these questions and then it's resulting in a complete shipwreck of their faith where they just completely turn away from religion, Christianity, the Bible, God, Jesus, the whole shebang. And I, I like to talk about constructive deconstruction. We're not deconstructing God. We're deconstructing the religion. We're deconstructing what men say about him. And it's okay to question if something doesn't make sense and there's no proof text for it. It's okay to ask those questions. But I think that when the questions are answered, it will bring this thing into sharper focus. It'll bring the truth into sharper focus. And so if if the result of our deconstruction and our questions is absolute apostasy or apathy or depression or despair, then we're working in, in the wrong direction. Because I do think that we can we can de we can deconstruct and we can ask questions, but it will actually propel us forward, not backward. That's interesting. And I like those new ideas. Um, 
because with new ideas and questioning, something could become better. Yeah, I agree. And I just think maybe that would stop some of this continuous fighting religiously. Yeah, and accept, I know. And accept everybody. Um, I, that's one reason why I respected my mom so much. She looked into things. She She tried to understand them. Yeah. And it was just out of respect. And yeah. I find that fascinating. I think she was probably more open-minded than most people in the 80s and 90s and in the 70s. Yeah, that was really unusual for that time. Oh, yeah. uh, things were things were pretty narrow back then. And I mean, my dad even tells stories. So my dad's 77. My dad, my dad tells stories when he was a child. He was probably like around junior high age. And he just in genuineness questioned his pastor. And he said, um, how come people don't get healed anymore? Because uh, they've been talking about all these, you know, stories in the Bible. Yeah. And, and so my my dad was just genuinely curious why there wasn't a lot of successful healing anymore. And it was a, a genuine child question. And he got in so much trouble for asking that question. And it's like, it's, it's a valid question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a valid question. Something occurred between in the church amongst godly people Something has happened since the first century. Jesus raises from the dead, and he gives his disciples an anointing to raise the dead, heal the sick, and cast out demons. And so what happened to that anointing? It's a Mm -hmm. good question. And rather than getting angry when people ask it, uh, maybe if we actually figured out what happened, we would get that anointing back, which I think would be better than maybe the embarrassment or the shame or the the repentance required to figure out why we lost it to begin with. Yeah, that would be interesting. You know, and my mom left the church when she got divorced because they would not accept it. Right. Yeah. And throughout, like, gosh, when I, ever since I was little, she studied Edgard Casey, Course in Miracles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she did automatic writing. She did all that stuff. But as soon as they turned their back on her when she got divorced, she was done. And then she didn't go yeah. to, to church till later. Then she started to go back because be, they became more open. Yeah. But that was really hard on her. Oh, the the, the rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and shame on them because what an antithesis to the very scriptures that they're teaching. I mean, read the passage of the woman at the well. You know, hey, I'm go home and tell your, you know, I'm going to go home and tell my husband. That's not your husband. In fact, you've lived with how many how many guys had she had? Like five or six or something like yeah. that at that point. And so here's a woman who has had, you know, living with a man she's not married to. She's She's had multiple, multiple men. I don't know how many were adultery and how many marriages and divorces there were, but clearly there was several, you know, um, infractions there. And the end of the story is that Jesus revealed, he didn't, this is another example of, of uh, something that he gave to a woman. Uh, nobody really knew who Jesus was. At the very, very, very end, 
you know, Peter says three times, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But, you know, not a lot of people knew who he really was. But he told the woman at the well, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm. He told the person he chose to reveal his hidden identity to was not just a woman, but it was a woman like chin deep in fornication and adultery and mm-hmm. divorce, right? right? And went back to her town rejoicing. And he ended up going into that town and spending several days there and many people received him. And so for for us to read something like that in scripture, then there's the example about the woman caught in adultery where he said, you know, him who has sinned, you know, never sinned, cast the first stone. And so you have all of these examples in scripture where Jesus consistently forgave women who were caught in that. And then you've got an entire church that's built around not forgiving women who are caught up in that. It just, it makes no sense. Yeah, I agree. So obviously in Christianity and stuff with sleep paralysis, yeah. they believe that, now I could be wrong, a lot of them believe it's a demonic thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We- yeah, I I think so. I think if you ask the average, like you went in and if you asked 100 pastors, you, you'd have a percentage of them that would have a more complex explanation. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them don't have an explanation at all. And, and so uh, I think kind of the cliche that you're going to get the most is it's demonic. And furthermore, what did you do to open <laughs> door. So it, it becomes your fault. And we know there there are cases where children are having this at two and three years yeah. old. Obviously, obviously, they're not playing with a Ouija board or looking at porn, right? So what do you do in those situations? And there are situations where it can do, it can have to do with rituals. It, it can have to do with ancestry. It can have to do with bloodlines. It can, it can do with um, curses. It, it can do with, you know, uh, people astral projecting into the house. It, 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 there's, it, it, there's so many different explanations, but um, the the average spiritual person will say that they're demons. And even that is complicated because if you go to the textbook theological definition of a demon, and I'm talking Dead Sea Scrolls, um, a lot of the apocryphal texts, a demon is a disembodied spirit of a Nephilim who died in the flood. So the watchers came down, they mated with women, they had these demigod offspring, half watch, half human. So when the flood came and killed everybody because they were immortal, because they were half human, half angel, their bodies perished in the flood, but their spirits remained and that's the textbook definition of a demon is this this earth-bound, half-human, disembodied spirit of a Nephilim. And a lot of religious people don't even understand. They think they think demons and fallen angels and everything is all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And a fallen angel is something different than a demon. When you go into Ephesians chapter six, it talks about principalities and archons and spiritual forces of wickedness and dark forces in the heavenlies. There's like four categories in Ephesians six alone. These are all 
different entities. And I think there's way more than the four or five or six that we just discussed. And so even to just say that every single thing is a demon is uh, a little bit oversimplified. And when you're when you're dealing with like an alien gray as opposed to a hat man, as opposed to a, uh, a like the mantis, like the praying mantis people, the Nords, yeah. uh, all these we've heard of, these are not all the same thing. These, they're not all the same rank. And there's so much rank and file um, in the spirit realm. And not only in angel um, lineage, but Everywhere where you look in the order of creation, there is there is rank and file. And so this idea that every single thing in the world that's evil or scary or bad is a demon. And where we have to be very careful with that, too, is this is where it's not cut and dry. When we start determining good and bad according mm-hmm. to our or how we feel or how scared we were or how safe we felt, that gets us into trouble as well because we've on one side of the coin, we have scriptures that say that Satan poses as a angel of light, which means that he can come off. I mean, he was he was the most beautiful of all of the creation. In fact, it says in the Old Testament that the reason he fell was pride over his own beauty. He was absolutely beautiful. This is another this is another one of those myths that everybody talks about but can't tell you can't show you anywhere in scripture. That somehow through the centuries and him becoming evil and bad, he became ugly. Well, the only thing I know from scripture is that there was nothing more beautiful ever created than this character. And he still has the ability to appear in that form mm-hmm. as a beautiful angel who can make people feel full of love and light and peace. And so just seeing a beautiful angel that makes you feel good is not a good enough indication right there as to whether or not they're safe or dangerous or trustworthy on the, on the flip side of the coin we have many examples in scripture where God dispatched one of his angels who are good and they're, they're, they're going to bring good tidings to man. And almost every time you see a human being encountering an angel in scripture, they're scared to death and they're falling faint and they're, and they're fainting and they're having to be touched with our, and revived. And the angels, what's, what's the most common thing out of an angel's mouth? Fear not. They're all, that's the first thing out of their mouth every time because people are terrified when they see these things. And I don't think it's because they're scary or they're posing a threat. I think it's because we as human beings tend to, I think that we come into contact with our fallen nature when we are in the presence of things greater than we are. And I don't even, I don't even just mean angels. I mean, just go to Bryce Canyon or, or you know, go to, go to a redwood forest or, or go to Niagara Falls. We, we as human beings, we tend to feel very small and insignificant when we are in the, the presence of something massively huge and, and powerful. And um, when we look at the ocean on one hand, we think it's beautiful. On the other hand, we're scared of it because it could wipe us out in a yeah. second, right? And so I think it's the same thing that when we're in the presence of things that are good and holy, I think one of the indications that we're in the presence of something good is we will have a fear because it's something extremely beautiful that 
is so much more powerful and more holy than we are. And so uh, I hear a lot of Christians just very cavalierly talking about, I had a dream and God came to me and he said this and that, and it's so cavalier. And it's like, if you really had gotten even the glimpse of a shadow of who you say you you met with in that dream, you would not be talking this cavalierly about it. Because right. every example of scripture of someone who brushed that close to the throne were sobered. They they were they were afraid. They were terrified. They they feared for their life. They started confessing their sins. And I think it was Isaiah, like, oh, I am a man of unclean lips. Like he was afraid he was going to be incinerated on the spot. There was um I think it was um, maybe Samson's mother, the angel of the Lord, kept appearing and telling her that she was going to be with child. And um, after the angel appeared to her and her husband, they were terrified. They said, we've seen the angel of the Lord. We've seen him face to face. We're going to die. And so when when people nowadays are like, I had this dream and Jesus came to me and he said this and he said, I'm so wonderful and he's got this plan for my life and I'm going to be famous and all this stuff. It's like, oh, wow. my gosh. But just. Just the way you said that, with absolutely no sense of your own fallenness, with no sense of fear that you saw his face, that that just is evidence to me that you did not encounter who you think you encountered. Right. I I found it fascinating when you mentioned demons, that they were half-breeds, basically. Yeah, yeah. So wouldn't some of them be kind? I know that's, that's a weird question, but that's a great question. And that is a great question. And what's interesting, I've got several takes on this and let me see if I can even wrap my mind around it. It's one of those things where you you try to talk about it and your mind just does somersaults. The the fact is because they were destroyed, they are now disembodied. And they are not happy about that. So even if there is, and I don't know if there is, even if there was some sort of inclination in their mind to be nice or helpful, they are all right now in an extremely agitated state. Mm. They are crippled. They are divorced from all of their senses and you hear people talk all the time about the reason why they're looking for host bodies is they want to experience again um, food and sex and pleasure and and the wind on their face. They're, they're missing all of their human experiences. Gotcha. And so they're sort of in a rage right now. And if if they were going to blame anyone for the situation they're in now – it's the lesser DNA that contributed to their current state because the the watcher part of them is the part that survived and that was resilient to the flood and resilient to the judgment of God. And so the weakness that they're now facing is because of that, that maternal DNA, right? And mm-hmm. and it's almost like they despise the 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 weakness. And we even see humorous aspects of of this even with the good angels there there is a apocryphal account of i think it's enoch and he's he's brought into the heavens and he's sitting there with the angels and 
And one of the angels makes a remark, something to the effect of, who let this guy in here? He stinks. Like, like you know how we are always saying that yeah. the, the alien, like they say that they smell, they have a smell that to us is bad. And other people, even in sleep paralysis, will talk about how they they smell the stench and, and that's, you know, how it manifests. Well, we have a smell to them too. And apparently they're just as disgusted with our smell <laughs> as we are. Because... <laughs> He knocks up there and they're like, who he's a he's a good angel. Like he's he's a buddy, he's a friend, he's a comrade, and he's like, Who let this stay? He's stinking the whole place up. Get him out of here, man. So That's uh I think that human beings really are kind of the lowest of the food chain when you start thinking about the cosmic realm. Mm-hmm. We're the high, we're on the highest of the food chain down here on earth, but we're we're the lowest. And so another thing with the demons is the reason that we have authority over the demons and the reason why they so easily flee when we say get out of here or i don't consent or you don't have permission get out like they're very easy to turn away and um the 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 reason for that is because they're cousins so to speak right they they Mm -hmm. do have the human aspect to them therefore we have authority over them Whereas you get these archons up in the heavenlies, and I've had Christians argue with me, but there are entities that we do not have dominion over. Jesus taught us how to cast out demons. He did not tell us to go throwing around our weight up in the astral realm to archons and and principalities and um, princes over entire um, nations and things like that. I, I think that a lot of people... Again, this is where Christians can get into trouble by believing something that they've been taught that's not necessarily true, that any time there's anything evil, uh, they can just cavalierly cast it out. Um, There's some of these things that if you even address them in conversation, it's an invitation. And there are things that we are just not supposed to be communicating with. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of... I think sleep paralysis sometimes has a lot of deception in it. I know mm-hmm. that sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a another book that I read that I found really fascinating. Um, that Barry Fitzgerald and Brian, let me get it here. It's um, The Deceptions of Gods and Men. Oh, wow. And I, I always thought you'd be interested in reading it. He is a, a paranormal investigator. Okay. Yeah, the deceptions of God and men. And I think you'd really enjoy it. But it was interesting because he talked about deceptions. Mm. Um, how they disguise themselves and how they manipulate man and in the spirit realm itself, you know, even appearing as religious icons. Yes. You know, such as children of Fatima. Yes. Yep. And I, I found it really fascinating. And it also scared me mm. that concept mm-hmm. at the same time, because when we're children, we're taught when you are frightened, you could call upon these things and they'll help you. Yeah. yeah. So did we just open up an invitation as children? Because you know, we were told this was good. Yeah. yeah. And children are so open anyway. Did we just open that door? The 
the bad news is yes. And whenever people are like that, but that's not fair. Like, you know, <laughs> there's things that can happen to us, especially in sleep paralysis, even because, oh, it's just a dream. And we don't realize that these contracts we're making in our dreams, they're like legitimate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not fair. I was asleep. That, that's not fair. But if you go all the way back, I mean, let's use this as our as our cipher. What happened in the Garden of Eden was not fair. They were seduced. That's the word that's used. She was seduced. She was tricked. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just that she didn't have this rebellious heart like, yeah, you're right. I don't want God. I want to be my own God. She was tricked. But it held. They were held accountable for that. I mean, I used to think as a kid, why didn't God just kind of hit a reset button and say, well, like, wait, that wasn't fair. But he didn't do it that way. And that was always so stymieing to me. And so to to your point, yes, they don't have to play fair. And if if they can convince a child in the time of of fear to call out to a dead person instead of, you know, Jesus or whatever, um, you have now basically given them the the vampiric invitation that they need because they're looking for an invitation. Sure. And so if it says in the scriptures that divination and soothsaying and communication with the dead is is not to be done, and a lot of Christians get that wrong. It's not that it can't be done. It's possible. It's not that it can't be done. But the reason why it's bad is that it puts us into these dangerous situations where we open up doors that we don't necessarily know how to shut. And so it's a protective measure. It's not, you know, the the, the big cosmic fun wrecker in the sky who doesn't want humans to have any fun so we can't drink, smoke, swear, have sex, or talk to dead people. You know, it's it's that, that book the 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 guidebook to the supernatural is what Ellie Marzuli calls it, and I love that. It's like basically, this book isn't here to ruin your fun. It's to warn you of all the different ways that these things can trick you into opening doors, and then you're in bondage. And so when we call out to someone who's dead, right then and there, we are we're breaking the code, right? And so um, someone said once. I love this. So uh, one of my pastors told said in a sermon once when I was a kid, the reason why Jesus said Lazarus come forth is because if he had just said come forth, every dead body would have risen, you know? And mm-hmm. so he had to specify which one he was talking to. And I think that that's the same thing with the spirit realm. And this is why I don't like it when Christians are constantly talking about the spirit or the Holy Spirit. There's no name there. there. You're not calling on anything specific. Now, I I know that God and Jesus know who we're talking to, even if we pronounce the name wrong or we're not, you know, speaking it in the Hebrew and things like that. But the fact of the matter is when we're just calling out randomly to a spirit or a saint or, you know, something like that, something nondescript, any spirit, that wants to take advantage and come forward at that point because they're such legalists. Well, you didn't you didn't say which spirit. I'm a spirit. Mm-hmm. You call right. <laughs> there's there's such little tricksters. Like you know when you're in when you're in elementary school and the teacher says like you know um, okay no more 
no more talking during during class. And then you've always got the one kid, in, a little smart aleck, who's got to raise his hand and go, well, what if I'm choking? I can't say help me. You know, you, there's always like the, the, the kid that's got to be the smart aleck, right? That's what these things are. Oh, you didn't you didn't specify, you know? And so I absolutely think, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier uh, when I was talking about some of the flaws of the Christian and the Catholic Church. I'm not saying that their doctrines of of soteriology and and eschatology is all wrong and all made up and fake. What I'm saying is, it's these little things that we we get wrong that get us into into big trouble. So. Um, if we don't know exactly what we're doing in these situations, if we don't know the rules, and I think that's why so many people that have these sleep paralysis encounters will say that it started when they were a little kid, because these things are little bullies, and they pick on the people that are the most vulnerable. And we see this in the New Testament. Who are the people that Jesus was always concerned about and always talking about? The widows, the orphans, the children and the disabled. Those were the people right. he was all looking out for because he knew that if people didn't watch out for them, they'd be taken advantage of. And so the spirit realm takes advantage of the most vulnerable. And that's why a lot of us get hit with this when we're kids, especially the ones that come to us like, oh, it's grandma or oh, the invisible friend, you know, the classic horror movie where oh, yes. they have, the, the lonely child has the invisible friend and because they are vampiric in nature. In other words, they have to be invited. They have to have our permission. And they know that if they show up like a super, super scary thing, we're going to say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Right? But if they yeah. show up in ways that are appealing to us, and this can be, you know, a familiar, it can be like, you know, I'm not going to say get out because, oh my gosh, it's my grandma. Or I'm not going to say get out because it's a beautiful woman who wants to have sex. You know, like they know what tactic, you know, and they've figured out that you catch more flies with honey in some cases than than vinegar. And and I am seeing that a lot more now, like in the old days, um, a lot of the sleep paralysis experiences were terrifying. And I'm hearing a lot more from the younger people that I talk to that mm -hmm. the sleep paralysis experiences are more they're more avatar they're more metaverse they're more come into the astral and explore and all your wishes hmm. will come you can be lucid and you can be like harry potter be superman and and so they're definitely sort of changing their approach with the younger generations like we're you know we're gonna the younger generation is is not as resilient to pain and suffering because we were you know our grandparents were raised you know my grand my grandpa was in world war ii so he saw war and separation from family and mm -hmm. death of friends and then my my dad was raised by a guy that saw all of that and so we're in a generation now where none of the young people have been alive during a world war uh, they haven't had relatives die and never come home and all that. And I'm not saying they haven't suffered. We've gone through a lot in the last few years as a country. But what I'm saying is, uh, in the old days, if something bad happened to us, we didn't complain. We ate this, the crap on our plate, whether we liked it yeah, or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we just didn't complain. We We didn't have a say. We didn't get a vote with the adults, you know. 
and it's just a different generation. And so these things are clever and they're they're resilient. They know how to adapt. They understand that the way that they're going to lure the younger generation in is through the honey, not the vinegar. That's interesting that you said their sleep paralysis experiences are different. Yes. Yeah. That's very lot, interesting. A lot, lot more exciting. And, the, and, <laughs> and, 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 and there are some that, that do still get the scary stuff as well. But I, I mean, I've just heard some things in the last year and a half that have just blown my mind about, um, you know, they're like gods in this realm. They get pulled into these astral realms or this metaverse or whatever you want to call it. And they are allowed to feel like, like they're a god. They get to do whatever they want and... And here's the thing, there, there's a honeymoon period with this stuff. You know, there, there's a period of time where it looks, you know, what was the thing that we were taught from a little it, from a little kid? If it's too good to be true, it is, it is yeah, too good to yep, be true. Yep, yep. <laughs> where a lot of people, though, get, I think, thrown off is the honeymoon period is longer for some people than others. And uh, so there's people that have been involved in this kind of stuff for 20 years and they're still getting all the perks and the benefits and the visions and the good feelings and all that. And so it looks like um, not some of this experience is good and some of it's bad because this person had a good experience and this person had a bad experience. But with with me, it's like, no, it's it's actually just a matter of time. It doesn't have to do with whether or not you know what you're doing or how good you are. It has to do with how valuable you are to these entities. If you serve a purpose, Mm -hmm. they are going to turn you off. And so if you have nothing to contribute, you don't have any sort of gifting or you are in it for all your own motives and all your own reasons, they're going to dump you pretty fast. After a while, they're going to figure out this is of no value and they're going to scare the mess out of you and you're going to bail out. Mm -hmm. But there's other people out there who are are willing to play the game and they're they have giftings and they have um the proclivities towards being groomed by these things and so through the grooming process which is what i really think a lot of this astral encounter stuff is it's a grooming process and these people that are useful to them you know these influencers that can get online and have a million views and every day and all these people are getting introduced to the stuff that are opening doors and you know the more doors that can be opened the more power they they have the more energy they have and so if you're useful to them they're not going to scare you they're not going to take the mask off and show you who they are and so it's not necessarily that they're good or that they're safe or that you're a chosen one it's that you're useful to them and as soon as you cease to be useful to them they will take the mask Ask off. Interesting. Wow, man, I could talk to you all night. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> interesting to me. I, you know, yeah, it's just the whole thing. It's just, I don't know. When people, I've talked to a lot of people that have had sleep paralysis because I've suffered with it, you suffered with it. And yeah. the stories are always consistent. Yeah. Always consistent. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. And how do people get a hold of you, Vicki? And how do they order your book? They come out at night. Oh, thank you, Dee. I am very easy to get a hold of. And I am very happy to talk to people who are suffering with this. Um, 
no email or request for a phone call will go unanswered if you are struggling with this, if you're being traumatized and harassed by this. So you can get a hold of me on my website, vickijoyanderson.com, and there's a contact page on there. You can get a hold of me on Instagram, Vicky Joy Author, and you can DM me on there and get a hold of me as well. You can get my book on lamarzuli.net, and I am not on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. So if you go to my website, you can click on the book and it'll take you to LA's site, but lamarzuli.net is where you go to get the book. Awesome. Vicky, I hope you come back sometime. I would love to, anytime to. Yeah, are any new books coming out soon? I am working on one now. I'm about 40,000 words into it. I'm really hoping to finish it and get it off to LA by the end of this year. Knock on wood. We'll see about that. Yeah. But but yeah, I am I'm working on another one and this one doesn't have to do with sleep paralysis mm-hmm. or blurry creatures, but it's got plenty of fringe. So if you like fringe, you'll like it. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited. I love your work. Thank you you. so much for coming on Twilight Tonic, and I hope you have a great holiday season. Thank you, Dee. You as well. You have a good night.